the church at Thyatira, truth matters. Truth matters. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, In Discipleship Journal, uh, author Max Stiles tells the story of how he led a young man from Sweden to Christ. The young man's name was Andreas. Now, he said one part of their conversation is very much worth noting. Andrea said, I've been told that if I decide to follow Jesus, he will meet my needs and my life will be very good. Now, this seemed to Andreas to be a point in Christianity's favor. But Max Stiles writes, I faced the temptation to make it sound better than it is, but I could not do that. No, Andreas, no, I said. Andreas looked surprised. Actually, Andreas, you may accept Jesus and find that life gets very difficult for you. What do you mean, he asked. Well, you may find that your friends reject you. You could lose your job. Your family might oppose your newfound faith. There are a lot of bad things that may happen to you if you decide to follow Jesus. Andreas, when Jesus calls you, he calls you to go the way of the cross. Andreas stared at me and asked the obvious, then why would I want to follow Jesus? Max Stiles writes, sadly, this is the question that stumps many Christians. For some reason, we feel that unless we're meeting people's needs, they won't follow Christ. Yet this is not the gospel. I cocked my head and answered, Andreas, follow Jesus because Jesus is truth. He is the truth. Truth matters. 
Now, so far, we've looked at three churches. Ephesus, their first love was gone. Smyrna, they were faithful, though they were heavily persecuted. Uh, there was nothing negative Christ had to say about the church at Smyrna. Then last week, we looked at Pergamos. Uh, they had begun to compromise their faith and behavior. Well, tonight we're going to look at the fourth church, the church at Thyatira. They had begun to loosen their grip on the truth. And what we see, we see that when we compromise our commitment to the truth, we open ourselves up to destructive forces. Again, truth matters. We'll follow the outline we've been doing with each church. First of all, uh, the church is identified. Uh, and the one thing we see in all the letters that stands out is that God cares about the state of each one of these churches. And why is that? Because the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Remember what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3? He said, Timothy, I'm, I'm planning on coming to you, but I'm, I'm writing this to you now that you can understand something and train those around you to understand that the church is the foundation and pillar of the truth. And so he says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. That's why Jesus cares so much about His church. The pillar and ground of the truth. We've been entrusted with God's truth. With the Word of God. And with the Gospel. And we're to hold it fast. Now, Thyatira was situated on the road between Pergamum and Sardis. And compared to the other towns that we've looked at so far, Thyatira was insignificant. And so it's striking uh, to note that the longest and one of the most penetrating letters was written to an insignificant church in an insignificant town. Folks, we need to let that be a lesson to us. God doesn't look at things the way the world does. The world goes by how big and powerful something is. But God cares even about small things. Now, while that can be an encouragement, it can also be a warning, uh, as it would have been to the church at Thyatira. Maybe they thought they were so insignificant, hey, they just didn't matter that much. They can do whatever they want to, because they're not that important. That might have been their thinking. But just like the Lord encourages the insignificant, he also judges the insignificant. After all, he's the judge of all. If Thyatira was known for anything, it had a commercial rather than a political distinction. It was a prosperous trading center. It was a blue-collar type town with numerous trade guilds and labor unions. Uh, and so, for instance, there were associations for bakers, for bronze workers, for uh, clothiers, for cobblers, weavers, tanners, dyers, and potters. 
Uh, it's probably best known for its purple dye. You'll remember that Paul's first convert in Macedonia was from Thyatira. Do you remember the name? Lydia, exactly. She's described in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, and she's described as a seller of purple goods. She was from Thyatira. It's believed that maybe after she was won to the Lord, uh, the Apostle Paul's ministry, that she had traveled back home to Thyatira and maybe started a church. Maybe it was, first of all, a Bible study in her home, and the Bible study grew into a church, and many of the churches were house churches back then. So maybe she was sort of the host of the house church in Thyatira, and that's how the church of Thyatira got its beginnings. That's at least one proposal for how the church started there. Now look at the way Jesus describes himself in writing to this church. He describes, uh, his, his words to this church, you'll notice, are going to be words of judgment. And so what's he say in verse 18 there? Uh, these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like what? Blazing fire and his feet are like burnished bronze. So what do you think is being communicated to the church at Thyatira by these symbols? Judgment, exactly, judgment. Uh, he sees the way they have embraced false doctrine and the way it's destroying their fellowship, and so he confronts them. He sees everything. Folks, let us be reminded of that today. He sees everything. It makes me think of challenges that I have read about in modern day television. Those who produce modern day news programs, whether it's WBT, WSOC, whatever, or you know, cable stations, morning programs, doesn't really matter the time of day. They they talk about producers and editors talk about the challenges they have today because there was a day before the cameras were quite as high definition as they are today. And so they could just throw some pancake makeup on an anchor and you were good to go. But the cameras today and the lighting today is so sophisticated. It's, it's a challenge to editors and producers because the cameras show everything. And so they have to spend that much more time getting anchors ready. The lights and the cameras show or reveal everything. Well, as Jesus looked at the church at Thyatira, he saw everything with eyes that were like a flame of fire. What's the commendation? We'll look at verse 19. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. He commends them, first of all, for their, for their deeds, their works. And among their works is their love. 
Now, in one of the previous churches, love was lacking. Which church was that? Ephesus, right. But it wasn't lacking at Thyatira. What Ephesus lacked, the church at Thyatira didn't in this regard. You know, the Bible tells us we're to love God and we're to love one another. In fact, in 1 John, it, it tells us that love of the brethren is one of the evidences that you become a Christian. John says if you don't love the brethren, you abide in death. Don't you wish John would say what he means? <laughs> if you don't love the brethren, you abide in death. You may say all day long you're a convert to Christ, but you're not, John says, if you don't love the brethren. Love's important. Do you truly love the brethren? You know, nothing is uglier and more deceptive than somebody who is a loveless Christian. Uh, you can see it in fellowships from time to time that you hear about or maybe you were a part of in your past where folks are constantly backbiting one another, gossiping about one another, fighting over all kinds of things, and how ugly that is in a fellowship. I, I heard about a fellow that drove past dozens and dozens of churches to get clear across town to, to go to another church. And somebody asked him why he was going to a church so far away. He said, because they really know how to love a fellow down there. So if you have to love them, does that mean you've got to like them all the time? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not like all their ways. <laughs> they were also commended for their faith. Not only their love, but verse 19 mentions their faith. The book of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then the chapter of Hebrews 11 goes on to describe what faith is like. Faith is not just some kind of easy thing because all those Old Testament saints who had faith, the writer of Hebrews demonstrates how their faith moved them to do hugely sacrificial things, showing that their faith was real. Do you walk by faith? Do you have faith? He commends them for their faith. He also commends them for their service. The word in the Greek text here is diakonos. It's the word from which we get our word, deacon. And in the New Testament, of course, there's an office of deacon, but the word diakonos is also applied to, the, to all members of the body of Christ. We're all uh, to have diac a, a heart of diakonos, service. Whether you're a deacon or not, that spirit of service is to be a part of, of every believer. And remember, Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to be a servant. You've got to be willing to be a servant and, and, and the last of all. So instead of saying, hey, what's in it for me and what's everybody going to do for me and what has everybody done for me lately, kind of think of church the other way around. How am I serving? How am I building others up? Rather than thinking people doing things for you, what are you doing as a servant? He also commends them for their perseverance. They've been steadfast and patient under trial. 
Now that really says something about a person's faith too, doesn't it? How do they react under fire? How do they react when they're going through trials? Well, at Thyatira, they persevered. And then you'll notice, not, you know, not only has he commended them for their works that he describes sort of in this uh, fourfold manner here, but he also commends them for their progress. Notice he says that you're doing now, you're, you're now doing more than you did at first. Some translations say your deeds of later are greater than at first. So what's going on at Thyatira? They're, they're a maturing congregation. They're a growing congregation. They're making progress. You know, Jesus spoke to his disciples on one occasion about growth. He said he couldn't share more with them at the moment because they were not ready. The Apostle Paul also spoke to the Corinthians the very same thing, how he would like to share more with them. But he said, you're not spiritually minded yet, you're still carnal. And then the writer of Hebrews said the same thing, didn't he, in Hebrews chapter 6. There's, he said, there's some things I need to talk to you about as a congregation, but I can't because you're not ready. You ought to be teachers by now, but I'm still having to lay the basic things out of the Christian faith. That's what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 6. Folks, we're to be growing. We're to be progressing. We're to be moving along. You know, in the Great Commission, we're told to go and make disciples. We're not told just to go and make converts. You have to make a convert before you can make a disciple, but you don't start stop at converts. Jesus said, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded. We're to be making disciples, growing Christians. God's people are to be growing and maturing, making progress. It can be disturbing sometimes to see a Christian who's maybe been a Christian 40 or 50 years and they're still acting like a little child when it comes to matters of the faith and how immature they were. You've probably seen that before in somebody. It's always disappointing to see. Romans 8.29 hits the nail on the head. It, it points out that God's desire is to grow us and conform us to the image of Christ. That's God's desire. His Spirit takes His Word and life circumstances and He works in your life and my life to grow us, to conform us to the image of Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we saw Paul saying to the Thessalonians, God's will is your sanctification. We're to be growing. We're to be making progress. What we're now doing ought to reflect that, that it's more than at first. And there's some basic steps in growth. The first step, I think, is knowledge. Knowledge doesn't define everything about growth, but you've got to start there. You've got to increase your knowledge of God's Word. You've got to read and find out what God has revealed about Himself, who He is, and how He deals with people. Uh, you've got to learn. 
And that's why you've got to have a regular Bible reading plan. It's like putting food in your body if you're going to grow physically. You've got to put food in your body to grow spiritually. You're not going to lose your salvation if you don't, but you're not going to grow. And you've got to obey what you learn. You've got to put it into practice. Being doers of the Word. You've got to serve. You've got to find out what your spiritual gift is. and You've got to use it. You've got to fellowship with other Christians. We learn from each other. We encourage each other. That's why coming to church is important. We're not to be lone rangers. The bottom line is progress is not accidental. We have to be intentional about it. Well, at fire tires, they were growing. They were progressing. And Jesus commends them for that. He commends them for all of these things. Their love, their faith, their service, their perseverance, and their progress. He commends them for all of these things. Well, then we come to the condemnation beginning there in verse 20. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. The sin at Thyatira was toleration of evil. They were putting up with false teaching in the church and it was a teaching that was leading people deeper and deeper into sin. Jesus called it that they were tolerating Jezebel. Now, what do you remember from your Old Testament about Jezebel? Wicked. Anybody? Wicked. Wicked. Who was she married to? Ahab. Ahab. And what did she introduce into the land? Bell. Bell worship. In fact, she had hundreds and hundreds of prophets of Baal that apparently was on the official payroll while she tried to do away with all of the prophets and servants of Yahweh. She was a wicked, wicked woman. Folks, nobody ever names their daughters Jezebel anymore, just like nobody ever names a son Judas. Any you ever think about that? You never run across a kid today named Judas, and you never run across a girl named Jezebel. <clears throat> Jezebel attempted to spread Baalism all through Israel. And she succeeded in bringing God's judgment on the nation. Now, at Thyatira, there was somebody compared to Jezebel. That was not her real name. It just explains her character. And she was apparently some kind of prominent teacher in the church that they were tolerating. Um, she was a false teacher. And Jesus says here she was actually leading the church astray. You know, today to some people, if you mention doctrine, you'll have people running uh, for the door. So many people just want a feel-good message, right? That might have very little doctrine or teaching content to it. But the Bible says that, that we've got to be careful what we believe. 
because it's going to have direct application to our lives. That's why doctrine is so important, because belief shapes behavior. Well, at Thyatira, they're tolerating this false teacher. Uh, and it's not an accidental thing that happened either. Uh, the tenses in verse 20 for both tolerate and teach are the present tense. She's continuing to teach false doctrine. She's continuing to lead Christians in the church astray. They are continuing as a congregation to tolerate her and to put up with it. In verse 24, we see there uh, things that are called the deep things of Satan. Whatever she was teaching, it was leading people down a path that the Lord was grieved by. It's, it's felt that probably she was teaching some type of Gnostic dualism. And the Gnostics, you know, put this wedge between the body and the soul. They were a false group, one of the biggest challenges to the early church. And they encouraged people, you can do anything you want to with your body. You can be as immoral and licentious as you want to be with your body because flesh doesn't matter. As long as you're giving attention to your soul and your spirit, hey, you're encouraged to go out and do whatever you want to do with your flesh. No boundaries. That was part of Gnosticism. And, and they would do some pretty wicked things. Uh, and, and apparently she was telling people in the church this was okay. And she and her followers would repent even though they'd been given every opportunity to do so. And so Jesus said the only thing for him left to do is to judge her and those who follow her and his judgment might even result in death. You remember what he told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11? Some of them come into the Lord's table. There was all sorts of sin in that church and all sorts of immorality and everything else. And he said, you know, when you come to the Lord's table, you need to examine yourselves. You need to judge yourselves so that you won't be judged by God. He said, the reason some of you are sick and some of you are even dying, God's judging you because you won't judge yourselves. God's discipline is meant to call us back. But... Scripture points out God may discipline somebody, a Christian, to the point they keep refusing correction, refuse correction, refuse correction to the point God just ends their life. You ever thought about that? It's serious business to refuse to repent. To be given opportunities to do so and simply refuse to do so. So folks, we need to be very discerning. Jude 3 tells us that we are to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Again, what do we see from this letter? Truth matters. Truth matters. Folks, think about our world today, how so many Christian doctrines are being attacked. Did you realize that until the 19th century, basically all Christians held to what were called the fundamentals of the faith? You, you believed in that 
inspiration of Scripture. You believed in the virgin birth of Christ. You believed in the substitutionary atonement of Christ. You believed in the body, bodily resurrection of Christ and in the second coming of Christ. From the early church onward, Christians believed these basic doctrines. But then beginning with the period of the Enlightenment and continuing down to our current day, Christianity and even these basic essential doctrines have been attacked like crazy. And they continue to be attacked. Uh, I'll never forget the testimony of one of my friends going through seminary, uh, James Shoup. There was a big church in Fort Worth, the Southern Baptist Church, although they had pretty well left Southern Baptist. And uh, it was a big, prestigious church where a lot of elite, wealthy people, a lot of intellectuals went. And they, were, they were advertising some kind of speaker and program he was going to be speaking on that James really wanted to hear that particular topic so he went to that church he said the more he listened that morning there was one minister got up and he just got angrier and angrier because he said the guy as he went along he attacked and undermined undermined one basic essential doctrine after the other I mean, this was from a church pulpit. One of the ministers undermining basic, elementary, essential doctrines. And, and James said, yeah, you know, they call themselves a church. And look at what they're representing. Things like that's what was going on at the church at Thyatira, apparently. Christian doctrine just sort of thrown out the window. And people following this teacher who was teaching false things. Again, folks, truth matters. We've got to be very careful today what we believe. So many things are being attacked. I mean, what do we see being attacked so much right now around us? Gender issues, right? And there's more at stake there than, than you might realize. You see, it's an attack on the image of God in mankind. He created us in His image, male and female. So all this gender stuff, it's an attack on the nature and the character of God. That's how serious it is. George Barna, some of you have maybe read some of his research, uh, does a lot of research on the church across America. He publishes his studies. Uh, oh, 10 or 15 years ago, he published some things, and, and every one of these categories, as bad as it's going to sound, it's gotten a whole lot worse in the past decade. But in the study he published, he found that 50% of adults in the church today believe that a person will be saved by good works and that we can earn a place for ourselves in heaven. 74% of adults, again, this gotten worse. This was 15 years ago. 74% of adults, he found out, denied any concept of original sin. 74% believe that when somebody is born, 
they arrive with a perfectly clean slate. Like Adam and Eve before the fall, they arrive with a clean slate and no sin nature. And then it's going to be up to them whether they sin or not. 44% of adults in the church believe that the Bible, the Koran, and the Book of Mormon are all different but basically equal expressions of the same spiritual truth. 59% of professing Christians deny that Satan is real. I think the number now is something like 75% of Christians. But again, dated numbers here. 59% deny Satan is real. They just feel like he's a symbol of evil in the world. And there's no such thing as a spiritual being called the devil. 54% believe that truth is to be discovered not by revelation, but by human reason, logic, feelings, and experience. And almost 50% of those in the church across America believe that Jesus sinned while He walked on the face of the earth. Those are disturbing numbers to read about. And it kind of makes you think just how you're seeing even in the church today, nobody believes much of anything anymore. It's sad. And again, that was Jesus' condemnation of the church at Thyatira. And so what's his challenge? Look at verses 24 and 25. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Hold fast the simple truths of the gospel. There are some things that are not up for grabs. Again, like Jude says, we are to earnestly contend for the faith. Remember what Jesus said about the truth? The truth will make you what? Free. Folks, we've got a message to proclaim that is the answer for the world's darkness. No wonder Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God and salvation to all those who believe. And as he said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, the gospel is a treasure that's been committed to us. It's been entrusted to us. And we're to do just like Paul said to Timothy. We're to guard it. We're to cherish it. We're to, we're to defend it as well as propagating it. Paul said to the Galatians, if anybody came to them preaching another gospel, let him be anathema. One of the strongest words in the Greek New Testament. Let him be forevermore accursed and condemned. If anybody comes to you preaching any other gospel than what we have preached to you as the apostles, let him be forever condemned. Folks, just like we saw last week that we're not to compromise on lifestyle issues, we see tonight we're not to compromise on doctrinal issues either. 
Now, as the letter closes, look at the promise Jesus gives to those who don't compromise His truth. He says, To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations that that one will rule them with an iron scepter and I will dash them to pieces like pottery just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. The, The ability to rule with Him, I will give power over the nations. Folks, in heaven, we're not going to be floating around on clouds playing harps. We're going to be given responsibilities. Ruling and reigning with Christ. And responsibilities. Heaven's not going to be boring. And then he says, I'll give him the morning star. Who's the morning star? Jesus. He's, it, it's, he's promising a depth of, of fellowship and communion here. And again, He ends with that same invitation we've seen over and over again. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you have physical ears to hear words? Yeah. But do you have ears to hear what God's Spirit is saying to the church? He's saying, listen up. Listen up. Pay attention. Some lessons. Number one, Christianity has a very definite body of doctrine that the church is to preserve protect and propagate. Christianity has a very definite body of doctrine that the church is to preserve, protect, and propagate. Secondly, one cannot turn away from essential Christian doctrine and still think you are walking in fellowship with the Lord. Thirdly, if Satan can convince us to turn away from the truth, he knows he can destroy our witness and weaken Christianity altogether. Fourthly, Christianity calls for perseverance in both faith and conduct. Say that again. Christianity calls for perseverance in both faith and conduct. I wonder if I'm speaking to somebody who has begun to drift away some from the essential truths of the gospel. Maybe there are some philosophies out there in the world currently that you're beginning to entertain. You you know they're against Scripture, but maybe some of these ideologies that are out there today, maybe you're beginning to think, you know what, Maybe, maybe some of those are okay. No? 
Not if it's moved away from the truth of Scripture. If it's moved away from the truth of Scripture, it's nothing but a subtle form of idolatry and it'll bring the judgment of God. You know, I love what Dr. Billy Graham said on one occasion. He made a commitment in his life. He said, Lord, there are some things in your word that I don't fully understand. But I choose by faith to accept the Bible as your word. And I believe that even if I run across something I do not fully understand or can fully explain, one day you'll shine more light on it and it'll become more clear to me. Until then... I choose to stand on your word anyway. That's a good commitment to make. Would it be said that your works now are more than at first as a believer? Are you growing in Christ and bearing fruit? Or are you stagnant? Maybe you need to think of some very tangible ways you're going to get back to taking steps to grow as a believer. You've got to be intentional about it. 